with him put on, on, on the announcement sheet for Stan. And I do want to remind you that um, uh, in, in the month of November, we will, uh, uh, the second Sunday of the month, we'll have our entry points class. And the entry points class is just simply an opportunity for us to tell you a little bit about what our church is. So if you are interested in finding out a little bit more about the church, how it functions, kind of the, the deep, dark inner workings of how we actually go about doing business, this would be a good time for you to learn about our church, who we are, what we do, what our mission is, why we do what we do, who our affiliations and associations are, um, why we affiliate and associate with those particular um, organizations, um, what we believe, um, how we understand the church. We're going to talk a little bit about ecclesiology, which is just a fancy name for our theology, our understanding of the church. We'll go through that. We'll, we'll talk about our mission. Um, what we believe, where we're at, uh, things that are priorities for us. So um, it's a great opportunity for you to learn a little bit more about who we are. It's a great time to ask questions uh, about where we stand on various matters and issues. It is something that is necessary if you want to um, join the church in membership. And we believe the church membership is entirely and utterly and completely biblical. So we will go over why we believe the church membership is biblical, even though you will never find a passage of Scripture that says, thou shalt be a church member. We will um, go over why we would say that many of the commands and many of the issues in the New Testament make absolutely no sense whatsoever outside of church membership. And then the following week, the third Sunday of the month, we will have our annual meeting and and there, we will, of course, receive new members, but we will also um, talk about next year's uh, budget and approve that. We'll talk about where we're going. We'll give an update on where we are with all of our new uh, technology equipment. And I'll just tell you a lot of stuff's on order right now. So um, this week, we'll start to be receiving uh, much of our, our new equipment um, so that we can put forth a, a much better um, video or a live experience for those who join us remotely. And we do believe that the church should be gathered, and it's really important that we gather live. But we also understand that in these times and days that many um, are unable to do so. And also, we have people joining us from around the world, and so um, this is an opportunity to reach out to people who just physically can't be here. We have members who are traveling, and they can join us uh, live, and so um, to keep those things in mind, once again, as Samuel already did, I do want to invite you to our, our fellowship meal. We haven't had a fellowship meal since April or March or something like that, a long time. And so we do this once a year. We usually have a fellowship meal every month, but once a year we go down to the Natural Bridge, and it is a beautiful, beautiful spot, and we invite every one of you to come and join us. And if just when you go through the gate, tell me you're with the church on Ramble Place, and they'll let you in for free. If you're not certain, we have a carpool. Just let's connect and get the carpool down there, and because uh, the road down is uh, not bumpy, but it's steep. And uh, so, anyways, I keep those things in mind. So with that, let's go ahead and would you join me in prayer, and then we'll look into God's inerrant word. Let's pray. A good and gracious Father, you sent your beloved Son into this world to redeem the people for himself, a bride to love and cherish for eternity. You sent your, in spirit, your spirit to enliven our hearts, to love and cherish for eternity. And may our church bring you great glory today and while we, for the entirety of our existence. May our church display your kingdom of light through our devotion to your holy word. May we never stand in authority over your word, but in humility allow your word to stand in authority over us. May we not lean upon our own understanding, but lean upon what you have said. I pray that we are quick to listen and slow to speak. I pray that we, are, we would adore you as you reveal your glory to us in your sacred word. And may, may we obey you in childlike faith and in pursuit of childlike joy. May our church display a kingdom of light to our devotion to fellowship. May we bear one another's burdens and sorrows. And may we rejoice in each other's happiness and successes. I pray that we're able to celebrate and meditate on all that we have in common in Christ, that our fellowship would be marked by love and mercy and holiness. I pray, Lord God, that we would think often of how we can be a blessing, not on how others can be a blessing to us. May we view one another through the eyes of Christ as deeply and eternally loved as we come together with all of our sins and imperfections. May you unify us in love that we might accept one another as we have been accepted by Christ. May our fellowship overflow into our daily lives. May we break bread with joyful and generous hearts, enjoying all of God's goodness to us, especially the gift of Christian community. May your church display your kingdom through our devotion to prayer. May we count it a privilege that we live in a country that gives us the freedom to gather together and pray. May we grow in our understanding of the subversive and revolutionary power of prayer. May Satan's kingdom be shaken as we pray for captive souls to be released. May Satan's kingdom be shaken as we pray for hearts to be awakened by the light of the gospel. And may our church be strengthened as we pray for God's blessing and help that disciples would be made the gospel advance every member presented mature in Christ on the final day. May prayer be like breathing to us, that we declare our dependence upon you as the God who cares not only for us but for all of his creation. In all of this, Lord, I pray that we be people of might and love. May we see all people as neighbors worthy of, of your love. Help us to move toward people like Christ would have us, not away from them. Help us to know how we should speak, how we should care. 
what we should do when a situation presents themselves to us in all the complexity of life in a broken and sinful world. May we see many added to our church because someone loved them enough to tell them the good news about Christ. May we see many baptized because your spirit used our imperfect attempts to be faithful and caused them to bear fruit. Add to our number, not for our own glory, but for your glory alone. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, good glory, because your faithful love, because of your truth. And we pray this in the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Today we're continuing our study in the book of Numbers. We're in Numbers chapter 7, and before we actually get into Numbers 7, I want to ask you a question. It's a question that Paul asked the Corinthians. It's, uh, it's one actually he kind of asked with, a, I don't know, maybe a little bit of total sarcasm. But he asked this in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, what do you have that has not been given to you? That's a good question. What do you have that has not been given to you? So before we look into Numbers chapter 7, as we continue our study through that book, I want to preface our study with uh, our today's message with uh, some passages that are discovered in the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, we find these texts. Listen carefully. Exodus chapter 3, verse 21. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and when you go, you will not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor, and any woman who lives in her house, for silver and gold and jewelry and for clothing, you shall put them on your sons and their daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. This was as uh, they were preparing to leave Egypt, to be delivered by the Lord from their bondage and captivity, to be let loose. God said, basically, I'm going to ask, go ask your neighbors, and I'm going to plunder Egypt. But follow along with me in chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12. Um, I'll just do 11, chapter 11, verse 23. Chapter 11, verse 20, oops, I'm sorry, chapter 11, um, verses 2 and 3. And I don't have a 23 in my Exodus 11. Speak now in the hearing of the people, that they asked every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people again. So ask of your neighbors, and I'm going to give you favor in their sight. And then chapter 12, um, verses 35 and 36, listen to the word of the Lord. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and jewelry and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. What do you have that has not been given to you? So God is preparing the people. He's going to deliver the people out of slavery, out of bondage. He's going to bring them into the wilderness of Sinai where he's going to establish his covenant with them. He's going to establish his relationship with them. And then he's going to say, you will build for me a tabernacle. And have you read the description of what the tabernacle was going to be made of? There was going to be gold and silver and acacia wood and porpoise skin and fine linen and purple linen and all these things. And you have to think, where in the world would a people living in a desolate desert get things like porpoise skins? And is there gold out there? Is there silver out there? Is there gold? Where's the acacia wood? God provides everything necessary to do what God is going to do through his people. God's people then become stewards for their own benefit and also for the benefit of others. So when the slaves left Egypt, they were provided by God everything they were going to need to carry out his command. Here's the other interesting thing. They plundered Egypt, but nothing was stolen. Isn't that amazing? They didn't go and burn down buildings and loot villages and hold up convenience stores to get these things. They went and asked. God twisted a little bit like plagues, ten of them. And the people were like, get out of here. Get out. Whatever you want, take it and go. Just go! Thus they plundered Egypt. So, if we come to Numbers chapter 7, which I believe is the second longest chapter in the Bible. Um, anybody know what the longest chapter or section of the Bible? Psalm 119, right? So, um, and one of the things we notice in this is, as you read this, many, times, many of you who read through the Bible in a year or whatever your reading plan is, you get here, and one of the things that you notice is how repetitious it is. In fact, it's long because it's repetitious. And um, you might wonder why it's so repetitious. Well, I hope to address that issue briefly today. But it's also a very practical chapter. Numbers chapter 7 is very practical. And it's also a very simple chapter. I like it when chapters are simple and I can outline them real nicely. There are three big sections. There are the, the first section, are that wagon and oxen are presented to the Levites. The second main section are offerings from the tribal leaders to the Levites. And the third one is our communion between God and Moses. And they're really two big themes, and that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what was given and what was the attitude of those who gave. That's it. Very practical. Not a real complicated um, passage of text. But um, let's go ahead and read. Numbers chapter follow along with me as we read Numbers chapter 7, verses 1 through 9, and I'll discuss that, and then we'll, we'll move along. Well, Numbers chapter 7, verses 1 through 9, listening to God's holy word. 
on the day when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle and had anointed and consecrated it with all of its furnishings and had anointed and consecrated the altar with all of its utensils, the chiefs of Israel, heads of their father's house, who were the chiefs of the tribes who were over those who were listed, approached and brought their offerings before the Lord, six wagons and twelve oxen, a wagon for every two of the chiefs, and for each one an ox. They brought them before the tabernacle. Then the Lord said to Moses, Accept these from them, that they may be used in the service of the tent of meeting, and give them to the Levites, to each man according to his service. So Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Two wagons and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershom, according to their service. And four wagons and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari, according to their service, under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. But to the sons of Kohath he gave none, because they were charged with the service of the holy things that had to be carried on the shoulder. And I'll stop there. So I'm just going to call this the first set of gifts. The first set of gifts, and I want to note um, what was given. What was given on the first set of gifts? Well, basically what we have is some oxen and some carts um, that, that are given. And one of the things I want to point out is I want to point out the unequal distribution of these gifts, how the, 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 the distributing of the gifts, they came from the 12 tribes, but they were given to the Levites, and I want you to see the unequal distribution. First of all, Gershon gets two carts and four oxen. The, the sons of Merar, remember, these are, the, these are the Levitical tribes. We talked about them a few weeks ago, so you need to go back and look at uh, previous chapters and numbers, but we'll see what these guys, what these tribes did, what these Levitical families, clans did. But Gershon got two carts and four oxen. Merari got four carts and eight oxen, and poor Kohath gets nothing. We don't ask ourselves, so I wonder why. I wonder why that, that this is um, so unequally distributed. Well, the first one is um, Gershon gets two carts and four oxen. Remember, they were, they were um, tasked with pretty much carrying the curtains of the tent. All right, so uh, pretty much the curtains. Was folded up pretty nicely and can be carried in two carts and four oxen. Barara, remember, he got all the bulky stuff. He got the tent pads and he got the poles and the heavy bulky stuff. He needed four oxen, he needed four carts and eight oxen to carry that. And Kohath gets nothing. Why? Because they're carrying the most holy items. And they were to be carried. They were not to be transported by cart or oxen. Of course, we see that displayed um, very vividly when we get to the person of David. You remember when he's transporting the, um, the Ark of the Covenant? What did he do? He put it on a cart with pulled by oxen. He should have read the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers would have told him, don't do that. Even when this donation was made, it was distributed in such a way that Kohath gets nothing. Because you want to carry these items. So just a couple of things on the nature of this particular gift. I think it's interesting how the thoughtfulness of this particular gift. There's no mention of this gift being given in obedience to a command of God. Now, some scholars and Bible students will say, well, obviously, it was some sort of a command given by God uh, which prompted this gift. And I'll just be silent where Scripture is silent. And Scripture is silent on this. Um, basically, it appears that a need is observed and a need is met. And so some of the principles we, we might um, derive from, from this is that uh, the idea of generosity without compulsion or suggestion. That is, recognizing a need and acting upon the need. As a church, let's be alert to this when we see somebody come in. We've seen people come in and say, well, somebody seems really down today. Well, without it being some sort of church-wide ordinance, call the person and bless them, strengthen them, encourage them, build them up. You, you don't need elder permission to do that. All around the church, we see people who, who are in need, who are struggling. Or perhaps you just say, you know what, something needs to be done around the church. Can I fix such and such? Something needs to get done. These are things that's recognizing needs, and it is acting upon those needs. And so... As a church, you have permission to be a blessing to one another without some formal, like this is going to be blessing day, and we're going to command that everybody goes and blesses one another. And look around, when you're talking to people, when you're hearing about one another, how do we take care of one another? How do we meet that particular need? Let's do it. Let me give a little caution about this, though. Carts for the Kohathites might have looked good, but would not have been good. In fact, it would have been sin. It would have been against God's design. So, somebody in their generosity and their kindness might say, you know, Pastor, we really like to see, you know, things kind of spice up a little bit. So I'm going to donate a couple of fog machines and some strobe lights. And I appreciate the heart. So who we are as a church, okay? We, we, we really, you know, I'm going to give you a big old wall of Marshall amps. And man, it's just going to be rocking in here. Appreciate the thought. We are not a rocking church. We really think the voices of the congregation are much more awesome than a stack of Marshalls. Have no problem with it. And we probably won't have a fog machine. I know that disappoints some of you. And 
I'm not saying that if you go to a church, if you're visiting and you're, you have a church and you have fog machines and strobe lights and those stack of big old amplifiers, I'm not saying, I'm just saying that's not who we are as a church. We think that corporate worship is uh, that, that we sing and we hear one another's voices and uh, that the word of God spoken and prayed and the word of God declared and proclaimed is, is, is really pretty good. Now, somebody wants to donate my retractable roof, which I've been pleading for for 20 years. Well, we might go for that. But generosity without compulsion or suggestion. Well, some of you are just so gifted in this area. I don't even need to speak with you, but people like me who just are oblivious to various needs. We can pray that God will help us to be sensitive to our surroundings and who might be, um, who might need an encouragement from Christ. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be carts and oxen. You need to pick up your Bible and just read God's word to them and bless them and strengthen them. Look at people who, who, who look and see needs. I mean, people call me and they say, well, I haven't seen so-and-so for a while. I'm like, God, has ever called him? You're allowed to. You can tell me. I, maybe, probably, I guarantee you, someone's called him. But um, let's bless one another. So that's the first set of gifts. The second set of gifts, and I'm, I'm going to read uh, a little bit. I'm going to go through the, uh, the, the, first, the first cycle, I guess, or the first uh, donation. One of the things here that we notice is that all the 12 gifts are exactly the same. But let me read, um, yes, starting with verse 10. And the chiefs offered offerings for the dedication of the altar on the day of the anointing. And the chiefs offered their offering before the altar. And the Lord said to Moses, they shall offer their offerings one chief each day for the dedication of the altar. He who offered his offering on the first day was Nashon, the son of Aminadab, of the tribe of Judah. And his offering was one silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels. One silver basin is 70 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them for a fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering. One golden dish of 10 shekels, full of incense. One bowl from the herd, one ram, one male lamb a year old for a burnt offering. One male goat for a sin offering. And for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs. A year old, this was the offering of Nashon, the son of Aminadab. On the second day, Nathanael, the son of Zuar, the chief of Issachar, made an offering. He offered for his offering one silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin, 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for grain, offering one golden dish of 10 shekels full of incense, one bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb, a year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering. And for the sacrifice of the peace offering, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs, a year old. This was the offering of Nathanael, the son of Zuar. On the third day, Eliab, the son of Pelon, the chief of the, pro- the people of Zebulun, his offering was one silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them full of fine flour, mixed with oil for a grain offering, one golden dish with ten shekels full of incense, one bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb, a year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, one- and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, a year old. This was the offering of Eliab, the son of Pelon. On the fourth day, Eliezer, the son of Shadir, the chief of the people of Reuben, whose offering was one silver plate, whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one golden dish of 10 shekels full of incense, one bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb, a year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, a year old. This was the offering of Eliezer, the son of Shadur. On the fifth day, Shalidiel, the son of Zerushaddai, the chief of the people of Simeon, his offering was one silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin of 70 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour, mixed with oil for a grain offering, one golden dish of 10 shekels full of incense, one bull from the herd, one lamb, one male lamb a year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of the peace offering, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs a year old. This was the offering of Shalidiel, the son of Zerushaddai. On the sixth day, Eliasaph, the son of Deu, the chief of the people of Gad, his offering was one silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin of 70 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour, mixed with oil for a grain offering, one golden dish of 10 Shekels full of incense. One bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb, a year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five males as a, a year old. This was the offering of Eliasaph, the son of Deol. On the seventh day, Elisha, the son of Aminahud, of the chief people of Ephraim, his offering was one silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin of 70 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one golden dish, ten shekels full of incense, a lamb, a year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of the peace offering, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, a year old. This was the offering of Elisha, the son of Aminahud, on the eighth day. 
Samaria, the son of Padatzer, the chief of the people of Manasseh, and his offering was one silver plate whose weight was 30, 130 shekels, one silver basin, 70 shekels. According to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour, mixed with oil for a grain offering, one golden dish of 10 shekels, food of incense, one bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, a year old. This was the offering of Gamaliel, the son of Padatzer. On the ninth day, Abidan, the son of Gideon, the chief of the people of Benjamin, his offering was one silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin, 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour, mixed with oil for a grain offering, one golden dish of 10 shekels, full of incense, one bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb, a year old, a burnt offering, one male goat. For sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offering, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs a year old. This was the offering of Abidan, the son of Gideonai. On the tenth day, Ahitzer, the son of Amishadai, the chief of the people of Dan, his offering, was one silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin, 70 shekels. According to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour, mixed with oil for a grain offering, one golden dish, ten shekels full of incense, one bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb a year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs a year old. This was the offering of Ahatzer, the son of Amishadai. On the eleventh day, Pajiel, the son of Achran, the chief of the people of Asher, his offering, was one Silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver base with 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one golden dish of 10 shekels full of incense, one bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb a year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs a year old. This was the offering of Pagiel, the son of Achran. On the twelfth day, Ahira, the son of Enon, the chief of the people of Naphtali, his offering was one silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver base and 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one golden dish of 10 shekels full of incense, one bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb a year old for a burnt offering, one male Goat for a sin offering, and the sacrifice of the peace offering, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs a year old. This was the offering of a hero, the son of Enon. This was the dedication offering from the, from the altar on the day when it was anointed from the chiefs of Israel. Twelve silver plates, twelve silver bases, twelve golden dishes. Each silver plate weighed 130 shekels, and each basin, seven in all, all the silver vessels, 2,400 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The twelve golden dishes full of incense weighing ten shekels apiece, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, all the gold of the dishes being 120 shekels. All the cattle for the burnt offerings, twelve bulls, twelve rams, twelve male lambs, a year old with a grain offering, and twelve male goats for a sin offering, and all the cattle for the sacrifice of the peace offering, twenty-four bulls or rams. 60 the male goats, 60 the male lambs, a year old, 60. This was the dedication offering for the altar after it was anointed. And when Moses went into the temple needed to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice of speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of testimony from between the two cherubim, and he spoke to him. I wonder whether I was going to read that entire thing, and I thought it probably isn't absolutely um, necessary since it repeats itself, but I figured also that God's word is much more important than anything I might say, so it seemed best to me to read God's word. So we get to the second of these two gifts, and these gifts then were the resources for the regular sacrifice and the ministry of the tabernacle. These were to be used for the sin offerings, or for all of the offerings, the sin offerings, the peace offerings, the burnt offerings. And it's interesting how the people came together to fund the ministry of the tabernacle and those who served in it. And we asked ourselves, why the repetition? There are a number of reasons why we might um, think about the, the repetition, but one of the things we would see is that none were exempt, all gave. The emphasis here is on the community uniting for the purpose of ministry. Everybody is in this thing together. The tabernacle has been constructed, and now it can be used for its intended purpose. I want you to note that this is corporate. The gifts were given not for individual worship of God. It was given for corporate public worship. The gifts were given not just so that I one day might be able to show up at the tabernacle and say, Hey, please, I, got, I want to worship God by myself today, and I gave you something a year ago. Remember that? I gave you the hundred, the silver days, and I want to utilize that so I can have my own private time with God. This was given for corporate public worship. It was given not only for the individual's benefit, but also for the benefit of everyone else as well. I hear over and over again, people will tell me, You see, Pastor, I can worship God alone. I don't need to go to church on Sunday. Well, it is true, you do not need to go to church on Sunday to be saved. But I fear that the statement is more influenced by materialistic, individualistic, cultural influence rather than being influenced by the Word of God because the, over, the overwhelming biblical evidence is that communion with God, cleansing from sin, peace with God, hearing the voice of God, commitment from God, can, well, they can all be experienced individually. Scripture, however, leaves no doubt that these blessings are communicated primarily when the congregation is gathered for worship. 
communion with God, cleansing from sin, peace with God. This is why we confess our sins together. We hear that God has assured us of his forgiveness. We spend time in thanksgiving. We spend time in adoration. We hear God's preach. We hear God's word preach. We hear it prayed. We hear it sung because this is God's primary means to impart these blessings to his people. And while individuals are present today, our joy to a body of believers. I want you to note the benediction of chapter 6. Remember the one we talked about last week. The Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you grace. May his countenance be lifted up upon you and give you peace. This is the benediction, and it was, voiced to be, it was voiced to be given in the context of the gathered body. God told Moses to tell Aaron to tell the people. But this blessing comes in the context of the gathered people of God. And so we see this repetition. It is, it is for the entire body. I also, since we're talking about the, the, the ironic blessing of Numbers chapter 6, let me just note for you the timing of this gift. It comes after the blessing of Numbers chapter 6. I think that's no accident. It is certainly important for us to hear. Israel did not give so that they could hear the words, the Lord bless you. The blessing was not the result of the gift, but the gift was the response to the blessing. Generosity flows from grace. First John tells us that we love. Why? Because he first loved us. We are gracious and we are generous because what do you have that has not been given to you? And so, we should note that as children of God, the child should look, the children, especially children of God, should look like their Heavenly Father. Like Father, like child, we are called to bear the image of our Lord. In fact, Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says that who he was predestined, he foreknew for what reason? To be conformed to the image of his Son, Jesus Christ. For what reason were you called? You were called to be conformed to the image of our, of, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Colossians um, chapter 3, verse 10, goes like this. It says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. We are being conformed to the image of our Heavenly Father. And one of the attributes or perfections of our Heavenly Father is that God is generous. And this is what we would call a communicable attribute. Um, we generally divide God's perfections or his attributes into two broad categories. Incommunicable, which means that he shares them with nobody else. Like God is eternal. You are not. You have a beginning. God is eternal. He shares that attribute, that perfection with nobody. God is omniscient. That is, he is all-knowing. You are not, nor am I. Nobody is. He shares that perfection with nobody. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere present. He does not share. Those are incommunicable attributes. But he also has what we call communicable attributes. Those are attributes he shares with his human creation, like holiness. You are to be holy. Why? Because I am holy. Um, other attributes. God is love. We are to be loving people. These are attributes he shares with us. Generosity is a communicable attribute, then, that God shares with his human creation, with, his, with the people whom he has called. And he has called his people to be generous. And he has, by the way, he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. That comes out of Peter. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness. Talk about generosity. Everything you need for life and godliness. What you have has not been given to you. Well, we might say, oh, yes, when there is an issue, God will provide. That's a great statement of faith, and it's true. The next question, though, is how does God provide? We might say, God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. But God is no cosmic cowboy who comes down and sells them off at some sort of stock sale. He entrusts his cattle on a thousand hills to his stewards who will use them for his purpose and for his glory. We prayed, and I'm stealing from Martin Luther, but we prayed, um, Give us this day our daily bread. And this is one of the big issues of the Reformation, by the way. On Friday, uh, October 31st, is Reformation Day. I'm going to be sending you uh, some, some, some ideas and some things you can do to prepare and maybe to, to celebrate um, really maybe one of the greatest turning points in history. History literally changed on October 31st, 500, a little over 500 years ago. Anyway, let me go off on Luther. But he asked the question, how, do, how does God provide us our daily bread? He doesn't just drop it down, get like, I don't know, potato chips just drop down from heaven. I go to the store. I try to avoid them, but I don't. Somebody grew potatoes and somebody sliced them and somebody cooked them and somebody bagged them and somebody brought them to market and all of these things. God has his people through whom he stewards his gifts. So God is a generous God and he's called his people to be generous. And so I always get to ask this question, well, how much should I give? 
and justice. There's a popular answer to 10%. 10% is a tithe, and the tithe is all over the Bible. But I don't know if the tithe is still a New Testament principle. Um, it's 10%. Let me give you a New Testament principle. If you're recoiling at the idea of 10%, um, I'm about to really crush you. Sorry, I'm not. See, see Paul tied generosity to his understanding of Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 goes like this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Christ, who had everything, gave it all for you. That's the New Testament model. You know, I probably think you're kind of like a 10% thing. Principle number one is, what do you have that has not been given to you? Principle number two follows that. That God, that giving is not under compulsion for, in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, God loves a cheerful giver. Guilt-driven givers are never cheerful givers. If you're visiting with us today, or you're new with us today, you haven't been here very long, you're going, great, I go to church, and sure enough, you're going to talk about money. I will not compel you to give anything. This is not going to be a plea for you to give anything. I'm not going to try to guilt you, like, oh, look at us. Winter's coming, do you know how much propane costs? Yeah, we're just not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to be blessed. I've been, it's normal, I've been here 20 years, but never once lacked anything. You've been blessed. I will not bribe you into anything. Like, if you give $100, I'm going to give you 1000 Guilt-driven givers are never cheerful givers, and bribed givers are never cheerful givers. I look through Scripture and I see Israel's cheerful giving for the construction of the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 35. Moses has to stop giving. Look how he knocks. Zacchaeus, he meets Christ. And he says, really? This is awesome. I'm forgiven of my sin. I'm giving 50% away. I'm giving 50% to the poor. And anybody I've wronged, I'm making up for it and then some. I think of the woman who lavishly broke this vial of an extremely expensive perfume for the, for the sake of Christ. God only moves upon the hearts of his people to remember the one who gave them everything. He reminds us of the blessing and favor that, he sh- that has been shown to us. Grace lays hold of our hearts and moves us not to give not just money but time and expertise. And, and there are so many generous people in this little church. People say this needs to get done. Let's get it done. People say, do you know what you're doing? No, but I'll learn. I'll figure out how to do it. It must. Then I don't know how long you've been here. 18 years? 19 years? When are you less than me? Every Sunday. Every single Sunday. When COVID hit, and we had to start doing things like on Facebook. We do not have one technology person in this church. Not one. So no one says, I'll do it. You know what you're doing, no, but I'll learn. I'll figure it out. You know how many stations down here working on sound and trying to figure out pictures? We struggled. We had, but we have something because I don't know what to do, but I'll learn how to do it. Probably not going to see a lady for a while due to her husband's illness and we have people stepping up for her. Do you know what you're doing? I'll learn. Let's get it done. God has gifted this church with people who are willing to get things done. Some people are. are, are or the financial state, they're able to give in that way, as well as their, their time and their expertise and their gifting. God has gifted his people. He's given us everything that we need. I think of Acts chapter 2, this is one of my favorite chapters, Acts chapter 2, where, where we read, in chapter 2, verse 42, we read about the early church, and it, and, and it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine and to the prayers and to the breaking of bread and to fellowship. And then it goes down and starts talking about how the people, when they saw me, they gave it. And the, best, I don't know, the way that I understand that best is they held everything with an open hand. Everything they had was theirs. You see that in Acts chapter 5, right? With, with a, um, it wasn't a quarter percent, but it wasn't them. It was, um, Charlie, you touched on it, you know. Um, and I can fire. Thank you. Um, you can keep this list. Everything you have is yours. You can do it whatever you wanted. People in Acts chapter 2, it's like, I have everything with an open hand. Everything I have in my hand has been given to me by God, and I can use it for my own benefit, and for my own pleasure, and for my own comfort, and for my own desires. I can buy a nice house with, like, central heating and air conditioning, and I can stay cool in the summer, and, and warm in the winter. What a great blessing. And everything is with an open hand. And when the need comes, how will I meet the need? How will I meet the need? Romans chapter 12 calls us to be living sacrifices. 
appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And it goes on. And somebody once said the problem of living sacrifices is that they too they have the habit of getting off the altar. You see, serving the Lord with our life is not a single decision, it is a daily commitment. Oh Lord, I'll give you my whole life. Sounds good on one day, but tomorrow comes and you're going to have to do it all over again. I remember as I was um, after coming to Christ and being called by Him and saved and dealing with the whole idea of, you know, I think that vocational ministry is the path that I'm to take and just wrestled with it. Really wrestled. It came to a place where, like, okay, I think that's the direction to go. <clears throat> made the decision, made the commitment. And I want to crawl off that altar almost every day. And every day we get up and we say, no. This is what God has given for me to do. We call to offer ourselves, we've all been called to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. See, I'm talking way more than your finances. I'm talking way more than your time and your expertise. I'm talking about everything. Present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and blameless. Day by day, we offer ourselves to God for His purposes, to glorify Him. And I don't think that's a drudgery. It's like, oh, today I'm going to be a sacrifice. I think when we honor Christ in our lives, it's the glorious day. It's the most joyful thing we can do. There is no loss. I was concerned when I thought about being in ministry vocationally. I thought, well, I'm going to have to keep this up and that up. I'm not going to do this and that. It's true. And there was no loss. Nothing lost. When Augustine was wrestling with, with, with conversion, and, and he's, he's talking, he reads this in his confessions, and, and he's like having this dialogue with himself and with his, with his idols. And his idols are saying, oh, you know. You know that if you leave us, you've left us for good. We're never coming back. And he loved his sin. He loved his sin. Desperately. And he's, he's communicating that, oh, and they're telling me that if I abandon them now, they will never come back to me, and I love them so much. It took a little, little while longer for Augustine to come to know Christ, but this was his conversation. And when he came to know Christ, there was no loss, no loss whatsoever. In fact, he began to realize, my idols were much too small. My trifles were just that thing, my trifles were the glory of Christ. Was before me, why would I even be, be tempted by such things? You see, if Lewis put something like, like this, it's like a child of making mud pies in the inner city because he has no idea of a vacation on the beach. And we're so content with the mud pies. And God has given us so much more. And so we are to be generous and offer to God everything we have. And one of the things he's asked us to offer him is a sacrifice of praise. We still offer sacrifices. They're not bulls and goats, and they are not um, whatever the grain offerings are. They're not ladled of 130 shekels and perfume barley. Hebrews 13, 15. They are a sacrifice of praise. Here's the other offering that we, that we make. Jesus told us, he said this, if you want to be my disciple, lay down your life, pick up your cross, and come and follow me. We are living sacrifices every day, day after day. We are called to lay down our lives, take up our cross, and follow after him. Lay down your life for one another. Lay down our lives for the sake of Christ. Lay down our lives. I desire to hold everything with an open hand. I'll conclude with this. Everything we have comes from God. What do you have that has not been given to you? And the answer is very simple. There is nothing. Everything. Everything you have. I pray that we be people who hold everything with an open hand. I pray that God will give us hearts that are not ruled by our possessions or any other idol. We're not ruled by our time. We're not ruled by our um, expertise. We're not ruled by anything. But I pray that we are not ruled by these things. I pray also that God will look at our lives that we might see needs and be able to meet them. We can just look around and we can see, you know what? This person's struggling. Let's help them. I'm grateful we have probably one of the most generous churches that I can even imagine. When people have been in need, we have never, ever, ever argued over finances. In 20 years, not one issue about what Never. If they're in need, yeah, get it done. Go take care of it. Mission Project, let's support it. People hurt me, let's take care of it. What, what do we need to do? Let's get it taken care of. We have people in our church who are in need. And probably Rackleys come, come to mind. Um, make sure you take care of the Rackleys. I don't want to say one person's more precious than another. But the lame have done more for this church than you guys can imagine. We need to take care of the lame. Let's take care of her. She's just a great woman of God. Taking care of her husband. Let's take care of her. Let's make sure they have everything they need. Everything. I, I told her, you don't worry about anything. 
We'll take care of it. Whatever you need, we'll take care of. I know we can back that promise. There are others. There are others all around us who are in need. And, uh, you know, we, we celebrate um, Steve and Judy's daughter. Talk about generosity. She just gave her kidney on Tuesday. What kind of generosity is that? What you have, if it's not been given to you, you have kidney. Then you can have it. Let's encourage Steve and Judy, and if you don't know Laura, then uh, let them know um, of that great... Um, we, we celebrate her generosity. So, so I really don't know how to end this message. So um, I thought I'd end it by let's pray that God would make us generous people. And uh, so let's, let's do that. Father, we uh, come before you this day, and we're so grateful. Lord, we have... We are surrounded by...